And this morning, without you turning to it, because we're going to turn somewhere else, I'm going to do a final part on three things God cannot do. And you might say, well, you're bringing us on a downer now. You've told us God can do everything. But you see, there's three things that God cannot do. And other things that he cannot do spiral off that also. But I want to pick these three things. And I'll read these two verses out to you. Then we'll go into somewhere else, okay? In Jeremiah 32, in verse 17, Jeremiah prays, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Now, we've looked at this, and I don't want to go too far into it, for I have so much to show you, that Jeremiah is praying here to the Lord. He tells Jeremiah, remember by a field, Jeremiah puts the scrolls in a vase and buries it, yet it's going to be, all the people are going to be taken away captive. It's going to look like there's a, such an impossibility that's happening. Judah's going to be decimated, as it were, taken away. Jerusalem's going to be torn down, more or less, to the point where there's only a few stragglers, as it were, left in the city. And the Lord says, but I'm going to bring you back to this place. But Lord, that's impossible. So Jeremiah prays, Lord, you've said it. That settles it. well, believe it. There's nothing too hard for you. And then in verse 27, the Lord says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And here from verse 17, where Jeremiah is praying, he's declaring, you've made the heavens and the earth. He's declaring his might, his greatness and his majesty. But now God comes down personally, as it were, in his word, and he speaks to the very heart of the individual. I am the God of all flesh. Notice that. We see him in his greatness and he sees us in our need. And flesh, flesh withers, gets old and dies. But whether it dies in the Lord or it lives in the Lord at his return, he's still the God of all flesh. And that flesh shall be changed in the moment and the twinkling of an eye when Christ returns. And also remember this. Remember you are suffering with a, an illness in your body, in your flesh. He's still the God of all flesh. He's still the healer today as well. So whenever we are looking at this, the Lord comes down personally and says, I'm the God of all flesh. Yet we see him as this great, big, magnificent, almighty God, whom he is. But then he comes down to you and I and he says, but I'm your God. I'm yours. I'm your God. So with this in mind and our title in view, three things God cannot do. Because the angel, remember, Gabriel says to Mary in Luke chapter 1 verse 37, for with God nothing shall be impossible. And yet we're looking at three things God cannot do. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. When I set to write this, in all honesty, I didn't mean to write it with three weeks in view to be doing a series on it. It was just something that keeps coming to me every time I muse on it and think about it. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, please.
It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, he shall also live, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Here's one thing God cannot do. He cannot deny himself. Now, what do we mean? Well, we know what it is to deny something, but it's greater than that in the original meaning here. For example, the word deny here is a word, our name, oh my. And it means to refuse, to reject. But it also gives the idea to act entirely unlike one's self. To act entirely unlike oneself or to disregard something. So whenever we're reading here, Paul says to Timothy, look, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. The idea being is that if we reject Christ, Christ will reject us. If we refuse him, he will refuse us. Thankfully, we're saved and we haven't refused him. And we haven't denied him, so he will not deny us. Now, notice the positive and the negative. We who have received Christ as Savior have not denied Christ. We have not refused Christ. Neither have we disregarded Christ. And we have not acted entirely like we do not believe in him. But then there are those who do and are. And the problem being is this. The problem being is that he will deny those who have denied him in this life. So, notice what he says in verse 13. If we believe not, Yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. For example, the word deny in John 18, Peter denies the Lord Jesus three times. You say, but there he was a believer and he's denied Christ three times. But he repented. And he turned to Christ. And he followed on with him. So notice here, it also gives the idea of the Jews of Acts 13, Peter's preaching. He says, you have denied the holy and the just one. So anyone who denies Jesus, anyone who rejects Christ, he will reject. He will reject. In fact, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, John tells us that if any man does not believe or anyone denies that Christ is the Son of God or deity in flesh. I'm paraphrasing for time's sake for you. It says, he is Antichrist. You need to think about this. So teaching of the spirit of Antichrist is all over. An atheist has the spirit of Antichrist. 
an atheist, a Muslim, is the spirit of Antichrist. Jehovah's Witness is the spirit of Antichrist. Why? They do not believe that Jesus is God. And listen, Judaism is the spirit of Antichrist. But everyone who rejects Christ, they will be denied. Everyone. The thing is, God cannot deny himself. Many people from the traditions that we have here, as in the Protestant or Catholic traditions, Protestant, so-called Protestants, are, are, are so superstitious, it's, it goes beyond belief. So superstitious that some think if they see a white feather in their house, an angel has visited talking about even my own family. If they see, there was one says to me, oh look, an angel has visited, we keep finding five peas. <laughs> I says, well that's a miserable angel. <laughs> that's true. It's a miserable angel. I would be saying, could you not at least leave a quid every time you're here? <laughs> Superstition. Denying Christ for superstition. Ritual and ceremony. Superstition. Tradition of men. God can't deny himself. And what Paul is saying here is, look, even though all things are happening, if man doesn't believe in God, listen, God is sovereign. And God isn't existing because you or I believe in him. If you don't believe in God, he's still God. <laughs> Some of the Greek gods, so-called, in Greek mythology, they needed the Greeks to pray to them and worship them to be able to be a god. It's the same in, in ancestral worship in Africa, parts of Africa. There was a young man, he was from Malawi. He was Well, he was only a boy at the time, and I was in Dublin, and he was only... Just turned 15 years of age, this young fella came in to the church and he was in and out a couple of times and I, obviously you don't want to buttonhole people and I remember I, I seen him and one day and I says, are you okay? His name was Abel. And his father um, was after him to kill him, his own father. Because Abel and his people from his tribe, his family, what they did was someone died, they done ancestral worship. And his father says, you are to worship me when I die, pray to me. But Abel went to an assembly of God tent meeting one time with his mother, and the both of them got saved. And the young lad was put on a plane because they were out to kill him. And he landed in Ireland, and he didn't know there was even a place called Ireland. Never heard of it before. Never heard of an Ireland before. And he got off a plane in Dublin, in Ireland, and he said, I didn't even know there was such a place on planet Earth called Ireland. And know what they did? They put him in a house with a few other boys, and I went round, and there was one room, and there was about, I don't know, six of them in one room. And the room was 
as we would say, you couldn't swing a cat in it. All cat lovers, I don't mean that, that you won't swing cats. Just, just in case. You couldn't swing a cat on it. And we ended up, we, we got the boy somewhere to stay. And we got him clothing and he came to the church and he'd done really, really well. The young lad's married now and has a wee family living in Dublin. They wanted to send him back over and his daddy was going to kill him. And we fought to get him a right to stay. He was on fire for God. You see, ancestral worship or praying to, uh, whether it's Greek gods or, or whatever, they need someone to worship or to pray to them in order, in, order, in order to be God, which are no gods at all. But the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob, the God of Moses and Joshua and Joseph, the God of the prophets and the apostles, is your God, is my God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is self-sufficient. He is all eternal and he is self-existing. Whether you and I believe in him or not does not change him one iota. But when we do, his eternality is brought right down to, from the God of all flesh. And he enters in by his spirit to live in his people. He can't deny himself. Here's another thing. He can't deny himself when someone stands before him and all the love in his heart, all the love within him. He can't deny himself but to say guilty is charged for those who have broken his law. For those who have sinned and have not repented and not trusted in the blood of Jesus, he can't deny who he is. You know why? Because he is holy. He's holy. If God would allow you into the kingdom or I or anybody without repentance and trusting in the blood of Jesus, then one, Jesus didn't need to die. He didn't need to die because he could have just let us on in and forgive us then. But sin has wages. It must be paid for. And that's why Christ died on the cross. So if one can come without claiming and knowing the blood of Christ, then God would say, my son didn't need to die. And secondly, and this might sound strange, he'll have to apologize to the devil. Because he kicked him out for sin. Because he kicked them out of heaven for sin. So those, unfortunately, even in the land that we are blessed with, these wonderful islands of our island home, even though that we are blessed with them, there are so many who think when they close their eyes in death, And when they stand before God because they were a good such and such, whatever label that is, well then, sure, God's big heart of love, you'll be walking down the streets of gold. No. No. God can't deny himself. He must abide by his own word. Because he 
spoke his word, and he is the word. He can't deny it and let you in without repentance and coming to know Christ. And it matters not whether you say, well, I believe in this God or not, or I don't believe him, I do believe in him, or I'm going to trust him, or I won't trust him. It doesn't matter what you and I think. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, it's his heaven, it's his glory, and he's still God. That's the idea of it. Timothy says, even if we don't believe, God can't deny himself. So he cannot deny himself. Listen, to what John Calvin says. Our faithfulness cannot in any way detract from the Son of God and His glory. Being all sufficient in Himself, He has no need of our confession. It is as if He had said, let all who will desert Christ, for they Deprive him of nothing. When they perish, he remains unchanged. So God can't deny himself. And here's another thing. When God speaks his word to you, he can't deny himself. If God was allowed sin in his presence, you know what happens? His presence becomes unholy. And he is holy. Notice also what Jameson Fawcett and Brown said about this impossibility with God that he cannot deny himself. See, God cannot do things we say and nothing's too hard for you. Now listen. This impossibility is not one of infirmity. I'm going to say it again. I want you to get This impossibility is not one of infirmity but of infinite power and majesty. Also, indirectly, comfort is suggested to believers that he is faithful to his promises for them. At the same time, that apostates are shaken out of their self-deceiving fancy that because they change, Christ similarly may change. Now, let me put it into a nutshell for you what he said, what they're saying in Jameson, Fawcett and Brown's commentary. God cannot deny himself. They're saying this, that God isn't changed by you and I and our ideas. God is not weak by saying he cannot deny himself, but his infinite power and majesty. In other words, it's a, it's a, it's a strength of God. Well, you and I could even deny ourselves. Listen, God may deny you if you don't know Christ. If we deny him, he'll deny us. But he can't deny himself. We can deny things even though we know it's true. I remember, I'll just say a relative, came to the Lord and he came to a meeting and there was another call to the front and everything in him was saying, no, not going to do it. And suddenly he finds himself, he says, as if I just got up and I walked to the front. And I'll never forget, he says, I trembled from head to toe. He was on the phone with me, uh, uh, talking away to me about this. And he says, is this anything like this? He says, is this natural? Is this happening? I says, it does happen, yeah. 
He says, and I, he says, tears were flowing. He says, I felt like I was going to collapse. And it was just felt so relieved when I just gave all over to God. For three solid days, he couldn't walk. He struggled to walk. He struggled even to function for three solid days. And now it was the fourth day, the first day, and he's phoning from a car phone as he's driving. And I said to him, do you see what's happened to you? You cannot deny this. No matter if all hell itself is thrown at you, you cannot deny it. God is showing up and God has done the work. Absolutely was the cry. Absolutely. He's in the world today. He's denying what God had done. Oh, he's not denying what happened. But he's denying within himself. He's not denying the reality of it. He knows it happened. But he's denying it. That he may live how he likes. Here's what our quotation says. God's faithful to his promises. He he can't deny what he's told you. See, when God tells you you're saved, guess what? What is it? You always sing that, of course, I'm saved and I know that I am. Sometimes I'm not sure if people do or not. And here the idea is that God can't deny that he has told you, I have saved you. You are mine. When you're saved, when you're saved, I mean saved, I don't mean religious, and I don't mean that you're, you've had some sort of fuzzy feeling in a meeting or you've had a goosebump experience. I'm talking about when you're saved, you're saved. That's it. There was a man messaged me who listens to us every week called Richard Hirschberger from the United States. Probably listen and hear me mention his name. From last week's message about being secure in Christ, he says, need more of this preaching he put online. And this is from someone who used to think they got lost by the time they reached the other side of the car park. Something to that effect. Saved one minute and lost the next. I can tell you something. See when Christ saves you. You're saved. But see when you're saved. See when you walk wrong. You'll know it. You'll know it. And you'll walk right. He says that not only does God keep his... It means that not only does God keep his, his promises to them, whom he has given the promise to, but that apostates are shaken out of their self-deceiving fancy. I think that's lovely. See, I wrote that because they're saying it better than I can. Apostates are shaken out of their self-deceiving fancy. Now, let me tell you about some apostates' self-deceiving fancy. Do you see, and I'm just going to say it, and it's just the way it is, and that, well, there you go. Do you see these people who say, uh, that I'm living in a gay relationship and that love is love and I'm a minister? <laughs> Self-deceiving fancy. Amen. Amen. 
self-deceiving fancy. God shake you out of it. I just heard there of don't worry, I don't I just heard of this wonderful preacher he had married. And he's now going to go into ecumenism with Rome and just let's all get together. It's about love now. It's about truth. It's about truth. It's about truth. Notice. The apostates are shaken out of their self-deceiving fancy that because they change, Christ similarly may change. And that's all you're hearing. We're medieval now, do you know that? You and I are medieval people. So we can also go back in time. (laughs) Wherever you go, the Bible's outdated. I can tell you, that Bible is more up-to-date than the Belfast Telegraph. And notice this, that because people think they can change, society has changed, they think Christ has changed. He cannot deny himself. Listen, if he could, and if he changes because you change, I change, and society changes, what does that say about God? What does that say about your assurance and security and your salvation? What does it say about his promises? What, is it, what sort of God is he? I'll tell you what he is. He's a sinner. Because then he's lied. Ah, see? So point two. Three things that God cannot do. Titus chapter one, please. Titus chapter 1. Okay. First one. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. God can't lie. Paul doesn't say God who does not lie. He isn't God who does not lie, although he doesn't lie. He isn't God in his nature. He cannot lie. He can't lie. You know why he can't lie? Because he's holy. He's justice and truth and righteous. He can't lie to you. So even when we are seeing things in church, and why is this happening? It's not God's fault. It's people need to come into align with God. People need to come into alignment with God. He is God that cannot lie. The word here for cannot lie is the word apsodes. Absurdus. And it comes from a word that really means God is unliable. He's undeniable, and now he's unliable, which makes him reliable. 
Notice this. He is the unliable God, and according to his promise, he can't deny himself. The word here, apsudis, we get our word pseudo, apsudis. Pseudo comes from it. And the word pseudo means fake, false. God is not a pseudo God. God is not fake. And God is not false. He cannot lie. You read the Gospels. Take your time and go through them. And every time you read of the Lord Jesus being asked a question, see if you can find him telling even a wee fib. A fib's a lie anyway. See if you can find him in it, but you can't. At times he answers a question with a question. Actually, that was actually something that Jews did a lot. They asked a question and they answered with a question. So he was playing them back at their own game, if you want. But you look and see if you can find where Jesus tells a lie, even just to make people either feel better or to make people think that he's not who people say he is for his own benefit. Notice it and see, because that's where that little white lion fib comes from. I struggle sometimes, you know, with certain things, and so do you. We don't want to hurt feelings. How do we get around it? We tell the truth, you're the worst in the world. Isn't that true? I'm going to practice the art of Austin answering a question with a question and see how we get on. Look, God cannot lie. God cannot deny himself. And Hebrews 6 and verse 18 says it was impossible for God to lie when he spoke to Abraham. It was impossible. Two immutable or unchangeable things God gave him. His promise, that was his word, that he'd become father of many nations, that he would be, that he would be the progenitor, if you want, of many kings. Notice, he had his word and he had God's oath. You'll read of it in Genesis 18. Two immutable things. Why were those two immutable things so immutable? Because he can't lie. And he can't deny himself. And look what God has done from a man who couldn't have any children. who was old, near 100 years of age. His seed is the stars of heaven. You and I are of his seed. Look at it. There's race and faith and faith and race. Look at it. God kept his word and God has kept his promise. Thirdly and finally, because time is gone. Actually, we're over time at the minute, but sure, five minutes. God cannot be tempted with evil. God cannot be tempted with evil. Again, it's another strength. The word tempted is the word apirastos. It means he's untemptable. Ah, Jesus was tempted by the devil. Got you there. It's not what it means. It's not what it means. We must remember that Jesus is fully God. 
very God of very God. But we must remember that Jesus is very man. The two natures are the dual nature of Christ, God and man. And whenever James says a God cannot be tempted, for example, let me just give you this quickly. Hebrews chapter 11, if you'll flick over. You're getting a bit of a Bible study instead this morning, aren't you? Hebrews chapter 11. Let your eye run down. verse 17 by faith Abraham when he was tried offered up Isaac in that he had received the promises offered up his only begotten son what was God doing here he was tempting or the word is also testing he was testing Abraham Now, the idea here is that God tried Abraham and offered up Isaac. The word tried is the same word. God cannot be tempted by evil. It's the same word. So he's saying God tempts man because the Bible says God tempts no man. No, the idea here is different. Stay with me. Stay with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're running into a close and appreciate your attention. 1 Corinthians 10, let your eye run down to verse 9. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. The idea, let us neither tempt Christ. Who is he speaking of? speaking of Jesus in the, in the wilderness with Israel. That's really who they're speaking of. Let's not tempt him. Okay. But sure, God can't be tempted. God can't be tempted. It's not what the Bible says. Yet here we see he's tempted. Here we, it says he cannot tempt man, but yet we hear that he is tempted man. So the difference is this. This is the difference. These temptations and trials come from without. For example, temptations and trials arising from within our uncontrolled appetites. And they come from our own passion. James shows the difference between God and man here. Man can be tempted with everything from out there to reach in here. That's why you all feel at it. We all feel at it. Because, you see, the old tempter, the devil, knows that he can take from without and call you from within. Here's the difference with God. The difference is here that there is no uncontrolled appetites and passions in God. And when the devil comes, as it were, or someone was to try to tempt God in the same way, he is holy. There's nothing in him to be pulled out by the word. Remember, he is, remember Jeremiah, the God of the heaven and the earth? We are now down in that earth. He's the God of all flesh. All of that's around us tempts us. 
from within to without. But when you turn it to him, sure he may laugh at it. Why? Because he's the one who created the heaven and the earth, who is holy, and none, none can compare to him. Now, when Jesus was in the wilderness, he was hungry, he was thirsty, he was a man, and the devil came and tempted him. And the idea is he brought it all to Jesus. And in his flesh, he could feel the pain and the, the hunger. Just look at this, Jesus. But within him was Almighty God. And because he is God, he's going, yeah. You think you're going to tempt me with all of this. I'm the creator of it all. He cannot be tempted with evil. Jesus, I'll finish with saying this, Jesus was Jesus was not only God and man, deity clothed in humanity. But even when you read through the scriptures and Jesus is speaking, look at them and say, although it's one and the same, but look at it and say, who's speaking here when Jesus is speaking? Is he speaking as a man? Or now is he speaking as God? He's always God, but look. And you'll see a difference in his language. As a man, God, but as God, almighty God, he speaks to. Why did Jesus walk on water? He was God. He created all things. And yet he gets into a boat because the beach is getting crowded and Peter pushes him out a bit. Why not just walk out into the water, Jesus, your God? And his humanity, you see, he's showing his humanity. God cannot deny himself. God cannot lie. God cannot be tempted with evil. And Jesus says of the devil, he says, he comes to me and I can find nothing in me. So he's the sinless, spotless lamb of God as to his humanity. Sinless, spotless lamb of God he is the human, the, the sacrifice of Calvary. But as to his deity, he is the impeccable Son of God. Impeccable means he could not sin. He can't do it. He's impeccable. What a God. Three things God cannot do. He cannot lie. He cannot Oh, that's the second one, so I'm getting them mixed up. He, can't, he cannot deny himself, he cannot lie, and he cannot be tempted with evil. Deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Bless you all.